and let's give him some praise in this place tonight. We're going to lift you up, Jesus. Hallelujah. We exalt you in this place. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 He is worthy, isn't he? Amen. No matter what is going on in our life, he is still worthy of praise. Sometimes we're going through hardships and valleys and, and things, but that doesn't change anything about God, does it? Our situations change, but our God is still the same. And if he was worthy of praise yesterday, that means he's still worthy of praise today. No matter what I'm facing, God is still God. He's still on the throne. Amen. His holiness and his majesty deserves praise forever. For all of eternity, we cannot give him enough praise. Amen. And so what makes our valley a better experience is when we just keep our eyes on, on him and keep praising him. Keep magnifying him and giving him the glory. We're not giving our problems glory. Amen. We're giving Jesus glory because he is greater than that, right? Amen. So good to see everyone here tonight to worship together. Amen. We know that God is uh, in this place. Amen. We feel his spirit. Amen. And that means he wants to do something. Amen. In our hearts, our minds, our lives. Amen. And, and we just got to let him do it, right? It's really what it comes down to, surrendering to him. Amen. Amen. As we uh, dismiss our kids' church tonight, amen, we want to uh, turn to the word of the Lord. Amen. We are continuing on in our uh, our, our series on the kingdom. We are in per part five already, and um, the word of the Lord in Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses uh, nine. Start reading verse 9. And this manner, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're wanting, right? The kingdom of God to happen here on the earth. Amen. As it is in heaven. Amen. Talk about revival. Talk about uh, the, the blessings of the Lord. Perfection. Everything. Heaven, heaven comes to earth. That's what more can you want. Right? Amen. Turn to a few people, greet them in the name of the Lord as you're seated today. Amen. We've been following the, the kingdom of heaven and its manifestation here on the earth and we we caught a glimpse of it first being first touching down in the Garden of Eden. Uh, but then Adam, the one in charge of the kingdom here on earth, couldn't follow the rules of the kingdom. So the kingdom, he left the kingdom and the kingdom left the earth. But before it left, we saw there was a promise given that there will come a seed of the woman who will help bring this kingdom back to the earth. And uh, we saw God speak to a man named Abram who had to leave the, the Babel corrupt, corrupted world and let God build a new nation, a new kingdom. 
not based on the laws and rules from Babel, but a new nation that was formed by God himself. And through the Mosaic Covenant, that suzerain vassal treaty we talked about, God sets the conditions to which Israel must follow uh, in order to live in their land and to usher in the kingdom of heaven, God's plan in the earth. We know that Abram's covenant, God gave them that land forever. Mosaic covenant determines whether they live in it. And so last week we were looking into the conditions that Israel must keep and enact is to set over them a king of God's choosing. And because you cannot have a kingdom without a king. And you can't have the kingdom of heaven come to earth unless you have a king that heaven has chosen to be the representative of that kingdom on the earth. And we talked, we went through the, the age of kings last week. We saw that David was probably the closest that Israel uh, had ever gotten to fulfilling God's purpose on the earth. And obviously, looking back in hindsight, they fulfilled, he fulfilled the purpose that was for them. Uh, the, the kingdom of heaven wasn't planned to come at that time, but uh, David did his part in, in following the word of God and establishing righteousness. And so uh, God promised, because of that, God promised that David's throne would rule forever. It would be uh, an everlasting throne. And then we saw that it was all downhill after David. The age of kings ended, as we talked about, with God's glory departing out of uh, Jerusalem, specifically through the east gate. And we saw that by the direction that the glory of God left is the same direction that he will return, and that is from the east. And so Jerusalem was raided. Israelites were either killed off or carried off to Babylon. But through the grace of God, after 70 years of captivity, they were allowed to come back and start rebuilding uh, the walls and the temple and start rebuilding the, the nation little by little. And Israel existed there in that, in that time period uh, for over 400 years until the time of Jesus showing up. But what was different about Israel and that period of time was we are not told that they had a king. They didn't have no king because they were being ruled over by other nations, by other Gentile nations. And Jesus referred to this period as the times of the Gentiles, meaning a time in history where, where the Gentiles would rule the world. And Israel would not rule the world, but the Gentiles would. And that they would rule over Israel, which would mean that Israel would not have a king. Because they are being ruled over by a, a Gentile king, and the king, Gentile king is not going to let this little nation have their own king. Uh, they permitted them certain things, religious uh, freedoms and such like that, but they, they weren't allowed to have, they were not going to allow them to have a king. And so this period, the times of the Gentiles, was given to the man, uh, the, the, the dream of this was given to the man who God used to destroy Israel. King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and we know that Daniel interpreted that dream uh, for Nebuchadnezzar. And so I guess the question is, are we still in the times of the Gentiles, as Jesus uh, 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 labeled? 
Well, the answer is simple. Does Israel have a king? Not talking about a president, but I'm talking about a king. Does Israel have a king? Israel hasn't had a king as far as we can tell uh, since the day that uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and destroyed the city. We're not told that Israel has a king. They still have it. Uh, and so Israel does not have a king. And so when does Israel get a king? Well, when that stone cut without hands is described as coming from heaven and smashing into the kingdoms of this world, and that is when we are told that Israel will once again have a king, which means that the times of the Gentiles will be over at that point, which means Israel will rule the world once more through the kingdom of God that is being established here on this earth because uh, the, the throne of David will be enacted and there will be one that sits upon the throne of David and will rule with a rod of iron, will rule this world with a rod, and I, well, rod of iron as the Bible says. And so there's coming a time in history where the times of Gentiles comes to an end. Why? Because Israel gets a king. But we as Gentiles... We have a privilege of reading scripture and looking back at Israel's history and understanding all of these things. And through Israel's errors and mistakes, we can see, uh, hopefully, to prevent ourselves from making mistakes. But this was front and center for Israel. What we're talking about, the kingdom and the king, is front and center. Because when the 400 years of silence was broken... With the wise men who, who saw something from the east, they come and ask, where's the king? Where's this king? Where's the king of the Jews? Uh, as we ended last week, a man anointed by the Spirit of God started declaring something in Matthew 3 and 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning the kingdom of heaven is close. Closest it's ever been because I'm out here preaching, repent because it's at hand. Repent, there is someone coming after me whose shoes I am not worthy to, to even tie. You need to repent and you need to make his way straight. That sounds like a king is coming. Somebody you're not even worthy to touch the latchet on his shoe or tie his shoe. That sounds like a king. And, and here John the Baptist say, he's coming right after me. So you need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which sounds like the king is coming. And we know uh, he was. But it's not for you and me to decide that Jesus is king. Israel must decide Who's their king? We, we, we've, our vote is already for Jesus as king. We already call him king of kings and lord of lords. Israel doesn't call him that. Israel doesn't call him maybe, maybe a prophet, but they, they haven't recognized him as king. Uh, and so Israel must decide. Israel must enthrone the king of heaven's choosing in order to see the kingdom of heaven manifest on the earth. And so, and so let me ask you, when, when the news started to spread about a wild man declaring that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, do you think that Israel knew what John was talking about? 
Do you think they understood what he was saying? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, do, or do you think that they kind of sat around and debated, what does this kingdom mean? What does he mean, kingdom? What does he mean, kingdom of heaven? Uh, uh, I'm not exactly sure. Did anybody get his definition? No. I, I, I think Israel knew exactly what John meant. Because we've been following all throughout Israel's history about the kingdom, uh, about the coming kingdom and, and choosing the king. And so they have been waiting for their Messiah to show up and, and deliver them from the Gentile oppression, deliver them from the times of the Gentiles because they want to be their own nation. They want to rule, uh, their, the rule for themselves. And they've been waiting for the Messiah to show up, their king, to put an end to all these other kings. And so by saying that key phrase, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom is at hand, this got the attention of Israel's elders, of their leaders, their high priest, the, the, the religious sect of, of what is called the Pharisees and Sadducees. The leaders have, uh, have been watching and waiting uh, they're looking for their Messiah because you know they're the they're the leaders of the nation and they they want to they want to be on they want their king to come and uh, you know rule with him, uh, but obviously they haven't haven't been watching very well because they've already missed a few signs, uh, the sign of of Jesus being born the, the the star in the east and they missed his birth at in, in Bethlehem, uh, uh, and so they're watching but they're not watching really good. And they had a committee that is established, was established called the Messianic Committee, the Messiah Committee. I don't know if that was the actual name, but we, we're pretty sure that there was an actual committee uh, of that sort. Uh, this committee was sent out, uh, and it would investigate any signs, any rumors, any talk of, uh, or any semblances of anybody that had any kind of potential of being the Messiah. So you get word of something happening, send the, send the Messiah committee out, and they'll investigate it. Uh, they'll look into it and see, if, is this a legit case, or should we look for another? Uh, and so, and how do we know this is because we see in Scripture that everywhere that Jesus was, there were Pharisees there. They're always watching him. Not because they're interested in what he had to say. It's because the Messiah committee was there, and they had their clipboards. They were standing off to the side outside of the multitude, and they were just listening, and they had their, their clipboards. They weren't interested in getting involved or anything. They were just there to, to check off any kind of boxes. Uh, and so they weren't asking for prayer. They weren't asking for deliverance. They weren't even praising him or even bowing down and falling at, at Jesus' feet and worshiping him, crying out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. They didn't do any of that stuff. They, they weren't interested in all that. All they're doing is watching. We're just here to watch. We're not here to participate. We're here to show up and watch and observe and, and pester this guy with questions and criticize the things that he does and, and what happened. They were really the only ones that got rebuked by Jesus. Jesus didn't rebuke the people that came to him and fell to his feet. They got miracles. They got blessed. But, but the people that, that were showed up and, and had their arms crossed, and they were just here to, to check off, see if Jesus is worthy or not for their, for their recognition, uh, time and time again they got, they got rebuked. But what happened to those who came and who worshipped Jesus? Well, they got touched. 
They got a miracle. And so the way that I see it is when Jesus show up, you can, you can get one of two things. You can get a, a miracle or you can get rebuked. And I, I, it's all indicative on how you respond to the presence of the king when the king shows up. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to praise God. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus. I'm going to fall at his feet. Why? Because he is worthy, isn't it? He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You can be a worshiper or you can be a self-righteous Pharisee and show up and say, I don't need anything from Jesus today. I don't need anything from him. I don't need anything from church today. Or you can be like the Syrophoenician woman who said, even the dogs are blessed from the crumbs of the master's table. Jesus kind of, re- Jesus rebuked her, and she's like, God, even the dogs are blessed. And what happened? She got a miracle. Why? Because she couldn't stop worshiping him. Even though it's not my time, I, any chance that I get, I'm going to get in the presence of God. Hey, I'm going to fall down at his feet. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to exalt him. Why? Because the king is here. The kingdom of heaven is nigh, is at hand, and I'm going to worship him and exalt, lift him up because he is worthy of our praise. And so Jesus is now on the scene. And at the end of Matthew chapter 3, he gets baptized and he's anointed by the Spirit of God uh, as a witness and a testimony of who he is. And Jesus sets off into the wilderness, as the Bible says, for his testing, to be tested. And and here it is that we basically get get to see Two princes face off. Two princes come head to head. Now, Satan is the prince of this world, the prince of devils, and Jesus is uh, the prince of peace. He's heaven's prince. And, and you remember, as we said a few weeks ago, a prince is not a king. A prince is not a king. A prince becomes a king when he's enthroned, but a prince is not a king. There's lots of princes, but there's only one king. And so Jesus is technically a prince because Israel hasn't enthroned him yet as their king. And Daniel has already told this, and it's written down hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. Four, five hundred years, maybe pushing six hundred years that David wrote, uh, uh, wrote this all out for Israel to read and understand. Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And so King Artaxerxes, the Persian king, King Artaxerxes, made a decree around the year 458 B.C., That's uh, according to history. And and so this Daniel is writing this down. Daniel was given this interpretation uh, at least 100 years earlier. So mid-5, 560, 570, somewhere around there, somewhere around there. So 100 years before even uh, this uh, comes out. So in 458, King Artaxerxes, um, a Persian prince, makes a decree. 
And what Daniel is told is that uh, 69 weeks from this decree, Messiah the Prince is going to show up. And, and so we know uh, through studying Daniel that one week e- equals seven years. And so 69 weeks times seven is 490 years. And so here Daniel is writing this in 550 B.C., and, and God's telling him uh, when the decree happens, uh, 69 weeks from there, something's going to happen. And so let's just take when Artaxerxes made the decree in 458 B.C., subtract 490 years because that's 69 weeks. And, and so according to Daniel's vision and prophecy, Around the year 458 minus 490, around the year 32 or 33 A.D., something's going to happen. Messiah the Prince. Not Messiah the King. Messiah the Prince will be front and center. Verse 26, after three score and two weeks, after the 69th week, the Messiah the Prince shall be cut off but not for himself. And so around the year 32, 33 A.D., we are told that the prince will be cut off, meaning he'll be killed. And that phrase, but not of himself, can be better better translated as, the prince is cut off and has nothing, and gets nothing out of it, shall have nothing. What What that means is the prince is killed, And doesn't get his kingdom. He doesn't get the throne. Because the the Messiah, the prince, is killed. He doesn't get the kingdom. He doesn't become king. He is killed. And he gets nothing for himself. And so now we know that Jesus is a prince. And Satan is a prince. But both of these are meeting out in the wilderness. Head to head. And, and what does a prince want? A prince wants a throne. A prince wants to be king. And so a battle for the throne, uh, a preliminary battle for the earth is happening right here. Before it all plays out, it's happening, going down right. We get a, we get a, a sneak peek of how it's really going to turn out. Uh, and so two princes, Jesus and Satan, are going at it. And don't, and don't misunderstand. Don't get caught up in the titles. Just because two princes are battling doesn't mean that they're equals. Because you have to look back at the kingdom that they're a part of. You got, you got to judge the kingdoms. You don't judge princes. You got to judge the kingdoms. One of the smallest nations in the world today is a, a nation called Monaco. The president of Monaco, I'm going to say it, the president of Monaco is not equal to the president of the United States. They have the same title, but I can assure you they're, they're not going to be equals. It's not a fair chance, fighting chance. I don't even know how big Monaco is, but it's, it's one of the smallest nations on the world. Uh, and so Jesus is the prince of heaven, and Satan is the prince of this world. And so there's no comparison of power. If you understand what kingdom they're from, it's not it's an, a game set match. It's 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 not even a fair fight. And we see in the wilderness there in Jesus's temptation, we see it all play out and we see who the winner is. Jesus. And if if Satan could not 
beat Jesus, get the upper hand on Jesus in the wilderness, how is he going to get the upper hand on him later when he comes back as king? He couldn't even beat the prince, and the king is coming back. And you don't want to mess with the king. Uh, And so after the wilderness, the official ministry of Jesus begins. And what does he do? We see in Matthew 4, 17, from that time began Jesus to preach and to say, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, first John was declaring this. He broke the silence and declared this. Now we see Jesus, he's saying the same thing. This was the focus of Jesus' ministry, getting people to repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is so close. It's so close. It's at hand. Because the prince is standing right here. And all you have to do, Israel, is to set over you the king of God's choosing, and the kingdom of heaven will manifest itself. It will come again, once again, to the earth, back to the earth. All you need to do is you need to repent. You need to change your heart, change your minds, the way you're thinking about things. Change the way you're thinking about me, because I'm not just some carpenter's son. I am Messiah, the prince, and I have come to set up the kingdom of heaven on this earth. And so all you have to do is to see me as your king, and this world will change in a moment's eye. And so Matthew 4, Jesus begins his ministry preaching. That the kingdom of heaven is at hand because it literally was at hand. The kingdom of heaven is right behind him. Jesus is the forerunner. He's there. He's the one to bring in the kingdom of heaven. And so it literally is at hand. Uh, And so what happens in Matthew chapters uh, 5 through 7, this this all plays out in, in the book of Matthew because Matthew is a Jew and he's writing to Jewish readers. And what any Jewish reader is going to ask is, if Jesus was our king, then what happened? And so Matthew is, is playing all this out, describing it to them, uh, uh, who Jesus really is. Because Matthew identifies Jesus as the son of Abraham, the son of David. Now, if you're the son of David, that means you can, you can sit on the throne of David. And so Matthew's tying all this out, showing that Jesus is the servant king. He came to serve, but he is the king. Uh, and so that's why this is all played out in Matthew. And so what happens in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, as Jesus just started his ministry in 4, we get to 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount happens in chapters 5 through 7. And what does the, what is the Sermon on the Mount? Well, it's it's a description, basically, of the kingdom of heaven, life in the kingdom of heaven, it's if, if Jesus is the one to bring this kingdom back to the earth, then the people need to understand the principles and doctrines of the kingdom. Because it's different than what's going on right now in Israel. The kingdom of heaven is not of this world. And so things operate differently than they do here on the earth. And so the Sermon of the Mount is an introduction uh, to the kingdom of heaven. And so if Jesus is the man to bring it all in, he's, he's starting to sit down, let me teach everybody. What the kingdom of heaven's like. And so what, is, what does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Tells them to go and be salt and be light. 
Talks about anger in your heart is equivalent to, to murder. Talks about lust in your heart is, is, is like committing adultery. And he says, you have heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Well, not in the kingdom of heaven. You turn the other cheek. If you, if you are made to walk one mile, hey, you need to walk two. If you get sued, give them your cloak as well. This is different. Because he's talking about kingdom of heaven stuff. Love your enemies. I ain't doing that. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and, and do good to them that hate you. Don't be anxious and, and seek God first and he'll, he'll take care of all your needs and lay up for yourself treasures in heaven and, and build your house upon the rock and not upon the sand. That's what Jesus was teaching in Matthew's five, chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He was introducing the principles and kingdoms of the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and at the end of chapter 7, verse 28, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as having one having authority and not as the scribes. And the people, the, the people of Israel, were astonished at his doctrine because this is not how we are used to doing things. That's not how we do things around here. Right, because I have come from another world, I've come from another kingdom, and these are the principles and the doctrines that govern the kingdom of heaven. And so that is what I represent. That is what I am prince of. And if, if you make me your king, then this is the kingdom that you're going to get. And that Israel was not expecting. What Israel wanted most was for their coming king. Was they wanted him to meet their physical needs and not worry about their spiritual needs or not worry about changing their lifestyle. God, we just got a few things that you need to take care of and don't bother us with the rest. We'll make you our king so you can wipe out the Romans and free us from their oppression and then we can rule over them. That's what we want. We want our king to come and hit him to, to wreck this, the nations of this world. That's our king. That's, that's, on our, that's our side. That's our man. But when this potential king started talking about turning the other cheek and walking an extra mile and give them, a, give them your cloak as well when you got sued, you know, he taught the whole mile thing. In in Roman law, they were that you were you were subjected to to help out the Roman citizens for up to a mile. They can they can come to you and say, I yeah, I need you to help carry this thing uh, up to a mile. And you were permitted by the Roman law. You had to do it a mile. And so what really made them mad is when they say uh, uh, do it a mile. Jesus says, go ahead and do an extra mile. How mad would you be when the Romans show up and make you do some free work for a mile? And then Jesus says, oh. Why don't you just go ahead and do another mile? Eh, I didn't like the first mile. These, that's why they're astonished at all this, this teaching. It's, it wasn't there. It's different what they're used to. What they wanted was a mighty king to come in and just start slashing and, and killing, killing Caesar and killing the Roman uh, centuries and killing them all and just deliver them and boom, we can, we can live how we continue to live in and do things. But Jesus says, no, if, if you want the kingdom of heaven to come, i got to introduce you to the kingdom and the way things operate in the kingdom of heaven. 
And so they were astonished at his doctrine. And, and, and we see this um, evident that all they were interested in their physical needs, we see this evidence and uh, when Jesus performed the miracle of five loaves and two fishes and he fed the multitude, a, a miracle that met their physical needs, what happened? We see here in John chapter 6. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and to make him king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. Now this is the only time that we are told in the Gospels that they were going to come and make him king. This is exactly what the whole plan was supposed to be, right? Make Jesus king. And the one opportunity, they're going to come and take him by force and make him their king. What does he do? Jesus uh, runs out and hides. He ran away. What? The moment, Jesus, you're waiting for. You're trying to get them to do this, and here they come to do it, and, and you run away and hide. Why? Because they wanted to make Jesus king on their terms. There's a few things that they liked about him and said, okay, I see that. I see the miracle of loaves and two fish. If, if Jesus can do this with bread and fish, just what do you think he can do to that Roman army? Let's go get him, take him by force, and make him our king. Don't worry about we're not going to pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount stuff, all the, the changing of the hearts and the changing of our lifestyles. Away. We're not interested in any of that. All we want is this man that can do miracles. We want to take him out on the battlefield, and we want him to, to lead the charge and do miracles against the Romans. That's why we want him to be king, and that's why Jesus ran and hid. Because it's, it's, not, the, it's not the way. where the, Jesus is going to be king on his terms, not their terms. And so they tried to do that, and Jesus says, it's not for the right reasons. What good is me is, is me coming and killing the Romans if your heart is still wicked? It would be a matter of time between your backslidden again. But if I come to change your heart, then I can take care of your physical needs, no problem. But changing your heart is the hardest part. And so that was the plan of, of Jesus' ministry uh, and the Sermon on the Mount and, all the, and, and teaching that, that, hey, this, things, things got to change in your life. And so that the only time that they wanted to make Jesus king, he ran ahead because the kingdom of heaven is more than just physical things. What good is the kingdom of heaven if the hearts of its citizens are corrupted and not willing, they're not willing to change? Paul describes this, Romans 14. For the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace and joy, all those things, that ties back into what? The Sermon on the Mount. Not talking about the meat and drink. When they saw, when the Pharisees saw the meat and drink, that's what they said, hey, let's go get them. The kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but it's something different. It's from the inside. And all the things that Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, you got to get your right, your heart right first. If if, but if you are real, willing to repent and, and change your heart, then I can take care of your physical needs. So repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And continuing on in, in the Matthew chapters 8 and 9, Jesus is continuing his ministry, performing miracles, teaching about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 10, we see him do something a little bit different. What does he do? Matthew 10 and 5. 
These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's that phrase again. And so now Jesus is sending out his disciples to preach the same thing. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But notice, notice who are the disciples sent to with this message. Jesus said, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans who were half Jew and half Gentile, so they disqualified themselves. But only go to the house of Israel. Only go to the house of Israel and tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Nobody else. Why? Because according to the the Mosaic covenant, only Israel can elect the king of God's choosing. And that means, buckle your seatbelts, that means the the only only the nation of Israel can bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. You and I, even though we are Gentiles, even though we are the church, we're filled with the spirit of almighty God, we are not the ones who are determined to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. Because that message, that that responsibility was given 3,500 years ago when he gave it to, 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 the, to, to them at Mount Sinai. You have to choose the king of my choosing. Uh, and so we're not the ones that bring the kingdom of heaven physically to the earth. The only one that can do that is Israel, and they do that by setting over them the king of God's choosing, which you and I know that is Jesus. And so Israel has to make Jesus their king. Israel has to make Jesus their king, and then the kingdom of heaven will come to the earth. And so if the church is not the ones to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth, then what is our purpose? How can, how can the church bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth? Where, where is the church located? We're all over the place. And where is the kingdom of heaven coming? It's landing in Israel, where the throne is, David's throne. And so where the church is scattered all over the place. We don't have a physical, one physical place. Israel does. Uh, and so the, if the church is not to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth, then, then what is our purpose? Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador does? A United States ambassador to China, he lives in China, but he represents another kingdom. He represents the values and the principles and the doctrines of the United States, but he's over there in China. He doesn't do the things that Chinese people do. He, they, he does things different. His customs are different. His way of living is different than the Chinese. Why? Because he's, in, he's an ambassador. He's in a foreign land, but he's representing the American values to this country, to this nation. But he holds to his, his mother, his mother uh, nation. Uh, And so we as the church, as Paul says, we are ambassadors in this world, ambassadors for Christ. We are also citizens of another world, 
citizens of another world. We are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and, and we tell people about the kingdom, and we are, we are living proof of the kingdom that is to come. Because we've already uh, listened to the Sermon on the Mount. That's how we live our life now. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, we live according to the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? The fruit of the Spirit. All these things. The the kingdom of, of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. That's what we're living. We are ambassadors of the kingdom that's, that's to come. And, and so acting as ambassadors in this world... Uh, we, we, we don't bring it here physically, but we represent it. And, and what, what do we do here? We tell people about it. Hey, there's coming a kingdom, and you, bet you might want to be a part of it because if you're not a part of it, it's not good. We can help convert citizens into a, that kingdom. We can help grow the coming kingdom. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is what we preach, right? We preach, hey, you need to repent. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You need to be born of the water of the Spirit because you're not going to see the kingdom and you're not going to be in it and you're not going to be a part of it. Why? Because we're living proof. We're ambassadors of this thing that's on, that's on its way here. Uh, it's not here yet, but you can become a citizen of it and start living by its values, start living by its doctrines. And, it, and I'm here to tell you, if you live in by the kingdom of heaven's values, you're going to stand out in this world. If you dress according to the kingdom of heaven, you're going to look different than this, the way people of this world dress. Because we're citizens of another world. The kingdom of heaven is coming, but we, we are not the ones that usher it into this earth. Only Israel can do that because that was given to them 3,500 years ago at Mount Sinai because the throne of David is in Israel. And that is the throne that Jesus will sit upon. As king over Israel. Musicians, if you would come. And so Matthew, Matthew's chapter 10 and 11, Jesus and his disciples, they're, what are they out? They're out preaching the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But things are starting to turn. Not for the better, but for the worse. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then began he, that's Jesus, to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. See, God, Jesus did a lot of miracles. That's what people were wanting. Meet my physical needs, God. Meet my physical needs. And, and Jesus was, was doing those things. They were getting blessed. They were getting touched. And uh, the miracles were happening. But what happened is it never got down inside. They never repented. They continued living the way that they were living after Jesus taught them how to live uh, according to the kingdom. Uh, and they repented not. And so he began to upbraid the cities, meaning he began to say, man, that's, that's not going to be good for those cities. All the works and miracles that I did in those cities and they still hadn't repent, uh, it's going to be better. It's going to be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be worse for them because even Nineveh repented. But yet my own cities did not repent. It's going to be worse for them. He upbraided them. They wanted miracles. They wanted physical needs met, but they would not change their hearts. They would not change their thinking. 
And he even goes on to talk about how all of a sudden they, they, they start saying, isn't that, isn't that the carpenter's son? They start, they start cutting him down, cutting down his reputation and his ministry. What's happening? A change is taking place. They're not, they're not, they're not accepting him. They're not liking what he's saying. They like the miracles, but they don't like the doctrine. They like the show, but they don't like the, the word. And when you, ch- when you chase after one and not the other, you get lost. You, get out, you go out of bounds and you go off to the side and, and it doesn't end up well for them. And so they, they wanted uh, the miracles and the physical needs met, but they didn't want to change anything about their life, the way they were living. And then something different happened in, in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 and 1. The same day went Jesus out of his house and he sat by the seaside Great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went to a ship, and he sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Skipping down to verse 10, the disciples came and said unto him, What happened? Why speakest thou unto them in parables? You didn't used to do that before. Why all of a sudden now, Jesus, are you talking in parables? What's happened? Why the change, Lord? Why are you now talking them in parables when the Sermon on the Mount wasn't in parables? All the other times the multitude gathered, you didn't talk to them in parables, but the disciples noticed something. Why now, Jesus? Why now in chapter 13? Well, something must have happened in chapter 12 to cause this change in chapter 13. You stand with me. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him. Insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? Son of David, that's referring to a throne, isn't it? Is it this, this, this is our man. There's, there's some that said that. And this is why it all plays out in Matthew. But verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were part of the religious leaders of Israel. And if Israel was going to elect their next king, the Pharisees would have to be on board. The Pharisees would have to say, yes, he met all our qualifications on our checklist. This is our man. And so when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And there it is, the turning point. The shift in Jesus' ministry, because the religious leaders just said, You're the devil. He goes on, Jesus goes on to say in verse 30, He that is not with me is against me. 
He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. What happened? Turning point happened. When Jesus saw that the religious leaders rejected him and attributed his work to the devil, he knew that they were not going to put him on the throne. But they would put him on the cross. And so what did he do? He shifted his ministry, verse 13, or chapter 13 and onward. Down in verse 13, chapter 13 it says, and after this he, 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 he only, basically he only spake in parables. He only started talking in parables. I'm not going to keep teaching and preaching truth to them because they're not going to hear it. They're blind, they're deaf, they're not going to hear what I'm saying. And they're going to be judged by every word that is spoken. And so I'm not going to speak more words to them because that means more judgment is coming than already is coming towards them. Because they've already rejected me. And so from now on, I'm going to be speaking in parables for their sake. Out of grace and mercy, I'm going to talk in parables. I'll relay truth through parables the people that are hungry will hear the word but those that have already rejected me and don't care what I have to say they're not going to get it and that's good for them because judgment's already coming and it doesn't need to be any worse for them because it's already going to be bad because they've already rejected the truth that I've spoken to them and so we see now in Matthew from chapter 13 onward the phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is no longer mentioned. It disappears. The last time that phrase was mentioned is in Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus said, go out and preach. After that, after Matthew 13, after that, that turning point, parables. Don't bother repenting because I already know what's going to happen. And obviously Jesus didn't say that. He, has to, he continues to play his role. I'm here as the one. That's why he goes all the way to the end acting like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here. You can still choose me. But he knew, he knew, that he knew what was going to happen because the religious leaders already rejected him. Because the Messiah, the Prince, has been rejected and will be cut off according to prophecy. The Messiah, the Prince, will be cut off and not get anything. And so we, we see the shift happen in Matthew 13, the shift in Jesus' ministry. And we'll get more into that next week about what he starts focusing on and what he starts talking about and who he starts ministering to. Because Matthew chapter 12, the nation, in essence, has rejected him. Yeah, there's still many, there's still believers, there's still people that follow him. But if the, if the leaders are not going to accept him, it's not going to happen. And as, as you and I live in a, a corrupted world, and as you and I know we adhere to the word of God, and we live by it, and we, we know Jesus is king, 
What happened, what needs to happen for America to escape judgment is not for you and I to repent because we do that. We're judged, a nation is judged by its leaders. Until our leaders repent and turn from their wicked ways and start turning back to the word of God, until uh, America's leaders do that, we're on the wrong, America's on the bad course. And there's, obviously there's many citizens, millions of people in America that live right. But a nation is going to be judged by its leaders. Until America's leaders change, America's judgment's coming for America. And honestly, I may be pessimistic in this aspect, but I don't really see that happening. Maybe a miracle happens. But from what I see, uh, we're headed on the wrong path. And so the Messiah, uh, the Pharisees give the word. Matthew chapter 12, you're the devil. They're not going to pick the devil as their king. And so at that point, Jesus knows, hey, this ain't happening. And obviously, Jesus knew. Jesus is God. He knows this is happening. But we see the shift happen in Matthew chapter 13. And look at what happens in John 19 verse 15 and when they brought Jesus in. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, Shall we crucify your king? The chief priests, the leaders, said, We have no king but Caesar. Talk about a slap in the face. We have no king but Caesar. As much as we hate the Romans, as much as we hate Caesar, We would rather have Caesar be our king than this man called Jesus. And that is what the 70th week of Daniel is all about right there. The judgment and the end of sin and end of transgression coming for the the nation of Israel. That's what happened because they they rejected their prince and they said, no, we don't don't want this man. And in, in fact, you know why Israel... Is, is repent so much. They rejected Jesus. And in the, in the days to come, the years to come, these last days, what are they going to do? They're going to accept the Antichrist. They're going to enter into a covenant with Antichrist and say, this is our man. The devil himself, they accepted, but they rejected Jesus. You don't think judgment's coming for Israel? Daniel's 70th week is all about Israel. Why? Because the king was there. Their king was there saying, hey, the kingdom is at hand. All you got to do is repent and, and, and put me in as your king, and boom, this is, this is all in the glory. But no, they didn't because they wouldn't change in their heart. It all starts in the heart, folks. We all like the physical. We all like the show and the lights and the, and, and the, the, the big the big big tent shows, but it's not about those things. What you need to focus on is we need to focus on changing of the heart because that's where it is. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink. It's not the physical. It's it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And we're already ambassadors of this coming kingdom, and so we need to live like that. We need to go out and preach to the Gentiles, hey, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, you need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized in Jesus. Jesus name. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God and be made new, a new person. Then you'll be able to 
see the kingdom that's coming. Come on, we are part of the kingdom already. Jesus is already our king. Israel rejected him, but we worship him tonight as king of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, let's do that tonight. Let's magnify our king. Let's exalt his name. Hallelujah. He is great and greatly to be praised. He is our king. He is our Lord of lords. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you. We lift you up. My God, how great you are. How great you are, how Jesus. Great, how great you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My God, how great you are. We'll make are. your way, your path straight, how Lord. Great, how great Help you us, Jesus. Are. Lord, to be the salt and the light of this world. Show them your glory, your majesty. My God, how great you are. Hallelujah. As ambassadors. How great, how great you are. Citizens of another world. Hallelujah, oh, Jesus.
let's exalt our King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our King. We are citizens of another world, the coming kingdom. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are your ambassadors in this world. Anointed, given power from on high. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We magnify you, God. Help us to be the men and women you've called us to be in this day and age as time is running out, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. If you ask, if you ask a Jew today, why don't you think Jesus was your king? And they'll probably say, there's not any peace. He's the prince of peace. Where's all the peace? Why, why didn't peace happen? Why didn't he overthrow? That's what's going to get them in the end days when the Antichrist is peace throughout the world. And the uh, Israelites go, oh, that's our man. They missed it. And so we see the shift happen in Jesus' ministry. What is the, what is the, where is the first place that the church, the word church is mentioned? Matthew chapter 16. I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. May I ask you, was church mentioned at all in the Sermon on the Mount? No. Nothing about Holy Ghost, baptism, none of that was in the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Something happened, and then all of a sudden Jesus started shifting. Now he's talking about this church thing. Matthew chapter 16. We'll get more into that next week. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.